Welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. My name is Rasmus Nielsen. Today, we'll talk about what journalism is uh, and why anyone would trust any of it with Alan Rusbicher, who is the chair of the Reuters Institute's steering committee, principal of Lady Margaret Hall here in Oxford, and former editor-in-chief of The Guardian. And Alan deals with many of these questions uh, and much more, really, in his new book, News and How to Use It. Alan, uh, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Very, very pleased to be here. So... I want to really start with um, an observation that you make in the preface of your book. And I'm just going to read back to you a couple of lines um, and ask you to unpack one of the observations that you make there. You write that journalism uh, has always struggled to describe itself honestly, if at all. As long as the readers were there and the bottom line looked healthy, there didn't seem much need for the public washing of dirty linen. And anyways, some of it was too complicated really to get into. Mix in the unhealthy omerta, which sometimes provides a shield from the uncomfortable scrutiny editors like to visit on others, and many aspects of journalism go oddly unexamined. Why do you think that the profession and the industry has been so hesitant to examine the cell itself the way it examines other institutions? Well, I think one of the answers is that for 250 years, uh, or however you date journalism, um, It, it kind of worked. There, there was an income flow. Uh, there was a public. Uh, the journalists held held the megaphone or owned the printing press. It was a very nice position of quasi-monopoly. Um, and so there didn't seem much to question. Um, it, and, and I think that applies to almost all journalists, say, um, over the age of 40 today. You know, um, uh, And... Uh, Although it's a highly competitive uh, in, industry in, in many parts of the world, uh, there was also a kind of sort of feeling that dog didn't eat, eat dog, and it was a rough old trade. Uh, I hate to break this to you, Rasmus, but but journalists, uh, academic uh, um, academics who studied journalism were you know not greatly respected. They thought, well, you know, what what do they know about it? And 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 so a sort of unquestioning attitude to what journalism was. Um, just exists for a long time. And of course, in the last 10, 15 years, almost everything has been unpicked or challenged. And of course, it's very difficult if you're, if you're uh, over a certain age, you've been working in journalism for 10, 15 years, you're probably feeling quite insecure, quite frightened. Uh, and having to rethink what you do in your relationship with the public is really hard. In addition, uh, just to this astonishing observation um, that academics may not have been all that respected um, in, in some parts of the industry, only some, I'm sure, um, but nonetheless. Um, I wonder uh, whether you want to comment on your terminology in the quote that I just read back to you. I mean, it's one thing to, to make the observation that the profession may have been somewhat unexamined and unwilling to examine itself, but also just dirty linen Uh, or Murta, I think that's something we associate with organized crime. Um, these are strong words. This is just this is beyond uh, the lack of self-examination. Yeah. Well, when 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 I was editing the Guardian, so you know, you have to write this off for the fact that I, you know I'm, my experience is six years old, six years out of date. Uh, I, I know for a fact that uh, in, you know many of my colleagues didn't want to be covered. They didn't think it, it was right for the newspaper industry to, to write about each other. 
especially as you know, even then the newspaper industry was in some trouble. Um, so when we wrote about things like phone hacking, that was regarded as letting the side down. That was that was definitely le- dirty linen that, that that shouldn't have been exposed. They they hated the fact that the the Leveson inquiry resulted from that, and and people started asking a lot of questions about journalistic practices. Uh, and um, it, I mean, I, I I wouldn't go so far, of course, to to compare this with the mafia. But you know, I, I, in my time. I received quite a lot of threats or um, uh, demands from from rival publishers um, who just didn't want to be covered. And I, you know, I, I think it's it's probably an open secret that there were kind of um, reciprocal arrangements. We won't cover you if you don't cover us. Uh, and um, so, you know, anybody who then tried to write about the media, and I think the right the media should be written about because clearly it's a very important force in society, uh, was let's say discouraged. I mean, looking back on this, I mean, would you go so far as to say that the profession industry may have let the public down with this lack of uh, of self examination? I mean, you write that. You know, somehow journalists expect the public to be able to distinguish the good from the bad and to recognize that not all journalism is the same, uh, even though journalism may not always have been that willing to examine itself. Um, well, well, I think we did. And, I mean, for the reason I hinted at just the moment, if you've got a, a, a force in society which is very powerful, and you know, I think most journalists would like to think they are powerful, uh, then I think you can't have unexamined power. That, that's a bad thing in society. We would think of any other form of power. Uh, and so I, I think it, it, it's bad to, to be part of a, a form of uh, unexamined power. And um, I think that is letting the public down because actually I think there's a gulf of misunderstanding between readers and audiences and journalists now as to what journalism is, what, what it can do, what it can't do. Um, what it claims to be, what it actually is. Uh, and that, that was part of the reason for trying to write this book was to sort of try and fill in some of the gaps, both for journalists and, and for readers, I think. So some of the examples of that problem are outright illegality, uh, like phone hacking. But I suppose that some would argue that there are broader issues here. Uh, so if we think, for example, of the way in which uh, black Americans... Uh, have taken to using mobile phones and social media to bear witness to police violence, uh, not just because they, these are urgent issues that they want to draw attention to, but also because they feel that uh, they have long been underrepresented, not respected, not reflected, uh, not uh, really represented in mainstream uh, news media in the United States, even amongst more liberal or progressive publications. Um, and instead have turned to various forms of, uh, of, of citizen journalism, I mean, is this a part of a reckoning, if you will, that that is also um, reflects this lack of self-examination in the past? I think it is. I mean, there are a couple of things wrapped up in that question. One is this question of uh, we may hate the term citizen journalist, but nevertheless, it it, kind of describes what's happening there that... Uh, you know, in thousands of news stories in a year now, the, the people who are first on the scene or who are first to capture it or to come up with the clinching pictures or the video evidence are not journalists, but are um, people doing acts of journalism um, in, in, in forms of bearing witness or recording. Uh, and that is 
clearly a challenge to journalism and, and knowing how to negotiate that as opposed to professional journalism. But it also highlights w what you uh, hint at there, which is the sort of unrepresentative nature of journalism and the stories that weren't covered and the communities that didn't feel that they found themselves, um, their lives reflected in, in mainstream journalism. And so they've taken it into their own hands or they've started creating their own kind of news media. And I think um, I think news managers are waking up to the fact that a, a this is bad journalism. If if, um, if you're not covering communities properly, that's just bad bad journalistically. But also the the commercial threat that you know, particularly younger readers, uh, I think let's take an issue like climate change. They I think they just think uh, I've got nothing to learn from the kind of skeptical or. Uh, uh, under coverage that mainstream media give this subject, so I'm going to go to the the the, the, the alternative sources that that do this much better. So it's going to become a commercial threat as well as a journalistic threat. I mean, you talk about acts of journalism, um, and I suppose this we are arriving here at a moment of truth. You have been a journalist and an editor for most of your working life. Um, I run an institute that studies journalism. I wonder whether the two of us, between us, can uh, bring ourselves to try to answer the question of who or what is a journalist that you raise in the book. Well, it, it's it's really hard. Um, I mean, it's hard because it's it's a it's a word that describes what somebody on the Sun does, as well as somebody on the New York Times. Or if, you know, if Fox News journalists would call themselves journalists, but what they do is very different from the BBC. Uh, the Daily Mail is an excellent paper in some ways, but it's very different from, uh, I don't know, the Frankfurter Allgemeine. Um, so <laughs> there are things that are just extraordinarily different in, in the nature of the craft or how people approach it or what they write about uh, or their ethical standards, all calling themselves journalists. Uh, and that's before you even get on to your, you know, the, the people with the mobile phone who are recording things, or the bloggers, or the tweeters, or your Julian Assange's, or your Tommy Robinson, you know, the, the, a, a sort of a, a horrible fascistic thug who describes himself as a journalist. Uh, uh, and so there's this tremendous vagueness around this word, and I'm not sure that you and I are going to solve it in the next five minutes, but nevertheless, you can understand why. Uh, readers struggle uh, to quite pinpoint what a journalist is or why why they're needed. What what is at stake in answering the question in your view? I mean, does it matter that the term is ambiguous, or is there something lost if we don't have some precision or agreement on it? Well, I do think. Um, I mean, you, you, we probably both agree that we're living in an age, to a large extent, of information chaos, which is probably getting worse and you know four years of Donald Trump certainly didn't help uh, and uh, the surveys that you do and others do show an awful lot of confusion about who to trust and what to believe uh, so I think it is helpful having um, in an ideal world people who are information professionals who can say actually this happened this didn't happen this is true this isn't true uh, and it, it, to give those people a, a, a name um, uh, and uh, again, one of the changes over 250 years is that um, the economic model that existed before, which in a way blurred the lines between entertainment and information and 
uh, and the need to get mass audiences in order to get the advertising, that that seems to be breaking down now. And there's more of a thirst for uh, information that might be thought of as more like a public service. So um, uh, I, I think it's helped, it, would, it would be helpful to, to clarify um, what journalism is and what it tries to do while acknowledging that there are that there are people in society who will do perfectly valuable uh, exercises in keeping people informed on in matters of importance who aren't strictly speaking journalists. Is there a point then in your view where people who think of themselves as journalists should sort of protest uh, or sort of challenge it when others use the, the term? I mean, is there a moment, you, you talk in, in your response there about sort of putting the seeking truth and, and reporting it quite central in a definition of journalism. Is there a moment in which people who believe that they are, that that's what they're doing should sort of challenge Tommy Robinson or, or, or for that matter, Julian Assange or others when they try to appropriate the term and say, no, you may think you're a journalist, but you're not? Well, it, it, I mean, I, I think Tommy Robinson is probably an easier example than Julian Assange. I mean, the problem with someone like Julian Assange is that he, he's a chameleon. He has multiple identities. He's, a, he's an information entrepreneur. He's a publisher. He's a whistleblower. He's an activist. He's an anarchist. Um, and he's also a journalist. Um, and some of the things that he's in, in trouble for at the moment, I, I think, would be things that journalists do uh, and, and, you know, are perfectly defensible. Other things that he does, I think journalists hold their nose and say, "Well, that's not what we do." Um, so, uh, so I think it's very difficult to sort of, you know, attack these people and say, "Well, they're, they're not proper journalists." I think that the the better approach is to say, "Look, here is why you should you should trust us." And again, I think in the twenty first century, it's not enough to say, "Look, I'm a journalist. I work for the Daily Beast." Um, uh, well, there actually, there is something called the Daily Beast, isn't there? But I work for the Daily Bugle, uh, and therefore you ought to trust me. Um, I think trust in the 21st century is earned in a different kind of way um, through through greater transparency. And that's probably how journalists have to distinguish between what they do and what others do. Maybe that's the last topic to, to hear your unfold your thoughts on a bit more. I mean, you write in the book uh, that... Uh, journalists should expect their readers to be as skeptical towards journalism as journalists would like to say that they are towards their sources and really believe nothing without reasonable evidence. Um, you know, how would you do that as a citizen? I mean, what would you encourage a, a citizen or a member of the public to really pay attention to if, uh, when he or she is, is passing judgment on whether they want to trust a particular journalist or a particular news provider? Well, I, I do think um, a, a, I, I would start teaching kids media literacy at the age of six, you know, and um, so that by the time they're, they're teenagers or, or young adults, they've had a long time about thinking about uh, what, are, what are the signifiers of trust. Um, so it could be something as basic as uh, sources, um, you know, that, that's essential to all kinds of knowledge. Where, where did it come from? Who is saying this? How, how can I evaluate the, this source? Uh, is there a source? You know, in a lot of journalism, uh, there's a lazy assumption that, that you just don't name who your source is, that the that, that pieces are littered with anonymous sources. But I, I'm terribly interested in Let's take barristers on Twitter. I mean, I'm interested in the law, partly because partly I spent so much time being sued. Um, 
and there are now a number of fantastic barristers uh, and, and and solicitors who who since the development of the Twitter thread, you know, so you can you can advance quite a sophisticated argument now on Twitter. Um, what I'm interested in is generally when they 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 write a thread, they say this is what I think or this is what happened, and then they will include a link or a screenshot. Uh, so what they're doing is saying, well, don't take my word for it, just come on, I'm barrister. Here is the evidence. Uh, go and check for yourself. And by the way, if I'm wrong, come back and tell me here and I will respond. Now, that, that's almost the opposite of what a lot of journalists do. They, they, they say, well, take, take it from me because I am a, a journalist working for X. I'm not going to link. Uh, I'm not going to show you my evidence. I'm not going to tell you who my source is. And by the way, if I'm wrong, I'm not. I'm going to make it really hard for you to tell me I'm wrong, uh, or or to correct. Um, now, one one feels to me like a 21st century uh, technique of trust, and one feels to me like a sort of age of trust where actually journalists didn't really care too much whether they were trusted, uh, and that I think is. Of, of all the areas that journalists are going to have to think about, how, how do I earn trust through the changed craft of journalism uh, rather than assuming that it's going to come back to me, um, which I don't think it will. I mean, what you describe, I think, is a situation where it sounds like your fear is that uh, many journalists are not so much interested in trust as they are interested in deference and a return to the uh, relative continuity and comfort um, of a previous media environment in which they were kings of the hill. Is that a fair description? I, I think it is. And, and, and it's completely understandable, by the way. I think it's completely human that if you, if you had the megaphone, you had the printing press, you had the broadcasting studio, uh, and you were, as it were, on a slight pedestal above the audience. And, you know, sure, they could write a letter. Um, uh, but you had the you had the you know the, the the prerogative over whether the letter got published, so you were almost in complete control of the whole system, and then suddenly um, this thing happens where they can write back. Uh, if you don't publish it, they can publish it on social media. Uh, they can start criticizing you, being nasty about you. If 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 you're a publisher that has comments underneath a, a an article, for the first time in their lives, distinguished journalists were challenged by people saying this is actually this is rubbish or this is wrong or how dare they and journalists absolutely hated it sometimes rightly because you know people sometimes don't behave well on on social media but i think there was a more fundamental i mean impossibility of conceiving what this was or why these comments were there or why an editor would would allow people to to comment in that way um and of course, a lot, lots of newspapers now close down their comment threads. They, they think actually we, we, we don't want that kind of discourse here. So there's a, there's a huge challenge, uh, as I say, to people who grew up with the megaphone to suddenly find they're part of a, of a public square, which, which is much less deferential, can be horrible, can be toxic, can be hate-filled. Uh, but, but I think the bigger problem is, is just acknowledging uh, a, a, a different kind of horizontal relationship between people rather than uh, an age in which people looked up at the publisher or the the editor-in-chief because they were the they were the people frankly who who were handed down the information they were the gatekeepers well that complete control is certainly gone 
the news is not. Uh, if you're interested in, in more about Alan's views on, uh, on these matters, I recommend his new book, News and How to Use It. Thank you, Alan, for joining the Future of Journalism podcast. Thanks, Rosa. That's um, uh, and I, I take it back. All I said about uh, uh, <laughs> media academics, I love them, as you know. It's uh, you're you're too kind uh, uh, in this in this setting. Uh, thanks for listening to the Future of Journalism. Uh, make sure to follow our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. Thank you for listening. I'm Rasmus Nilsson. We'll be back soon. Thank you.